All right, Matthew chapter 7, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. Um, so I want to just highlight quickly where we left off last week as where we're going today. So if you would, um, we see in, in verse number 25, we see the most disobeyed commandment in all the world. What's the most disobeyed commandment that God ever gave? Do not worry. How many of you guys never worry? We don't worry about anything. Just me. I, I, I seldom worry. I think God's given me a wife to do that. And uh, I, I let her worry for the both of us. And maybe to a fault, I don't worry about too many things. Um, but Jesus said, don't worry. Number one, you can't change it by worrying. You can't add an inch to your height by worrying. You can't add a minute to your life by worrying. Matter of fact, worrying actually takes minutes off of your life for what it does to your health. And, and it's irresponsible and it's irreverent and, and it's irrelevant because it doesn't do anything. But if you'll replace that worry with what? Prayer. Prayer actually does change something. Prayer actually does work. So Jesus tells us not to worry. And then, and then he encourages us um, that, that God will provide for all your needs. Don't worry. God will provide. And then we get this most amazing promise of God. Listen, check this out. He said that, that he'll, he'll provide, he provides for the birds and the sparrows. And then he said this. Listen, all those birds and those sparrows, I tell you that Solomon... In all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these birds. Now, now that's a huge statement. That really is a impactful, powerful statement that Jesus gives about how he provides for you and I. How well he's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of you better than the birds. And the birds, he takes care of them better. And they have more splendor and majesty than Solomon did in all of his glory. Now, if you know anything about Solomon's glory, you catch the magnitude of that statement. Solomon's glory was so powerful and so big that the whole world, he was the, he, he created the wonders of the world. He had hanging gardens. Um, the queen of Ethiopia, as we talked about last week, the Bible records the queen of Sheba. She comes to Israel to meet Solomon because she hears around the world about the glory of Solomon in Israel. Now, on a side note, a little rabbit trail, the, 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 the queen of Sheba, the queen of Ethiopia, she goes back to Israel or back to Ethiopia and many believe pregnant with Solomon's child. And in Ethiopia that we have this, this kind of folklore that the, um, there's an Israel connection to what is that guy called? Haley Selassie. Haley Selassie is like an Ethiopian messiah that the Rastafari's, um, Bob Marley and the rest of the Rastafari's worshipped. But where that comes from is this story in the Bible about the queen of Ethiopia who came and met Solomon. All right, it had nothing to do with the, where we're at. But, um, but just Solomon's glory and how much more God takes care of you and I. And then Jesus says in verse 33 of chapter 6, and the last thing, he says, but seek first. Somebody say first. The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. You know, the Bible is so simple, you guys. Like, listen, this is so simple. There's a couple promises in your life that are so simple. They're so complex that it just, it's simple. God says four times, once in Joshua, once in the Psalms, that if you'll meditate on the word of God, day and night, and be careful to do all that is in it, God will prosper you and give you good success. Now, you would think, right, with a promise like that, 
Something as simple as read the Bible in the morning, read the Bible at night, be careful to observe what's in it, and God will absolutely prosper your life and give you good success in all you do. That, that, that promise is repeated multiple times in the Bible. Powerful promise. Read your Bible and pray every day. It's a big part of our, our, our thing here for that reason. Well, here we get a similar powerful, powerful promise for your life and my life. That if you'll seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things will be added unto your life. What does everybody always ask right here? What are all these things that's going to get added to my life? What do all these things mean? You guys know what all means in the Greek, right? All means all. And so what are the things that you're asking God to do in your life? Those things will be added to your life. But the recipe, listen, catch the recipe, okay? Because you got to get it right. The recipe is to seek God first, not those things. You know, I'll just use an example because it's one that happens a lot in relationships, you know, and, and, I, and I try to be very careful that I never want to shame anybody who desires a spouse or a relationship or a husband or a wife because God created that need in us. And God wants to meet that need in you. But Satan also wants to provide some counterfeits. And Satan also wants to get you off the track and the plan that God has for you. But somebody who, who needs a spouse or, or, or wants a spouse or wants companionship, they're, they're seeking God for that thing. God provide this, God do this. And they're doing everything in their fleshly power to make it happen and all the websites and all. I'm not talking about any of those things are wrong. That has nothing to do with it. But our focus is, is, is the need and, and God meeting the need for us to have a husband, to have a wife, to have a relationship, to, to meet this need in our life. And we focus, 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 keyhole on this. But God says, if you'll focus on Jesus and you'll abide and you'll abide in God, and just focus on, on, on pleasing God in your life and doing the things that God wants you to do and hearing his voice and growing in him every day, reading your Bible and praying every day that all these things are going to be added unto your life. You guys don't believe, do you? That is too simple. That'll never work. I prayed and God didn't answer me. I still don't have that Audi. I listen, listen, I'll tell you something. God did answer you. And he said, uh, No. You can't handle it. You'll crash it. You'll get tickets. You, you whatever. Like God answered you. He said no. Um, but you know the other thing to remember, just in this promise, is that God says the things that you have what need of. Okay, not want. There's a difference between a want and a need. But I promise you, a good, good Father, Heavenly Father, promises you in His Word, He's going to take care of you. And now we come to. So we saw one of the most um, disobedient. Uh, disobeyed commandment. And in chapter seven, it opens up, I think, with one of the most misunderstood commandments in all the Bible. And especially by the folks in the world who maybe don't know God or backslidden Christians. I think if there was like a backsliders Bible, this verse would be like the mantra. It'd be like on the cover of the verse on the thing for the backsliders Bible, you know, but it says in verse chapter seven, verse one, judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, the plank is in your own eye. So we are, as you guys know, in a section of scripture called the Sermon on the Mount. Started in chapter 5. It ends at the end of chapter 7. And it's Jesus speaking this most famous sermon. And here we come to the third half or the third half. That makes sense, huh? The third, what would that be? 
third, the third third, <laughs> and, and we see um, where Jesus begins with this commandment for us to judge not lest you be judged. Try telling somebody that if they're smoking weed, if they're sleeping um, around, if, if they're having sex outside of marriage, if they're um, you know, doing drugs or that they're cheating on their taxes, that, that that's sin in their lives. And what will they say to you? Don't judge me. Only God can judge me. Look, I got it tattooed on my neck right here. Only God can judge me. Your number one tattoo in America. Only God can judge me. I want to I I see one of those guys, and I just want to tell them, that should scare you. Only God can judge you? Yeah, that's right. That, that should scare you, that, that only God can judge you. Now, listen, in the area of, of judging, Jesus is not saying that we shouldn't judge. He's actually going to teach us in this chapter how to judge righteously. You, you, it's, it's not common sense to say you can live your life without passing any judgments. You'd have to close your eyes and, you know, walk around in the dark and, and close your ears. Never as a human being make judgments about situations. What Jesus is going to do in this chapter is he's actually going to teach us what's the difference between a righteous judgment and an unrighteous judgment. And then he's going to give us scenarios where as Christians, where as people, we have to make judgments. So really what this is saying is, is he doesn't want us to judge under condemnation. You know, it's never right for us as Christians to say, you know, certain individuals went to hell or they're going to hell or they're, they didn't go to heaven or they went to hell. We don't know. That's, that's an area where we're not allowed to judge somebody under condemnation. You know what? And I've been guilty of it. And I know theologically that it's wrong and that I'm not supposed to judge somebody to whether they went to heaven or hell. You guys remember Jerry Garcia? Okay, some of you a little bit older would know who Jerry Garcia is. But the, there was a group called the Grateful Dead that came out of the hippies movements in the 60s. And most of them died, right, except for the Grateful Dead for whatever reason. And Jerry Garcia went on and he toured with the Grateful Dead for another 30 years. And he had this cult following that would follow him all around the country as they would just fry on acid and, you know, get into these psychedelic drugs and movement and music and, you know, free love and sex. And this whole Grateful Dead movement that followed Jerry Garcia for all these years. And a few years ago when Jerry Garcia died, I tweeted out, uh, he's not so gratefully dead anymore knowing, right? And I knew, you know, I knew the theology before I did that. I knew it wasn't technically correct because I don't know where Jerry Garcia went. And, and, and you'd think that I would have learned my lesson, but then a couple of months ago now, maybe a year ago now, Hugh Hefner died. <laughs> so I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. So I was trying to be cool. I knew only a couple people would pick up on it, but I just, I just tweeted, it just got hot for somebody or something like that. Something like it, it just got hot. And so a couple of my friends, they knew me, they knew what I was saying. Most people would say, what does that mean? It just got hot. Like, what are you saying? And I just left it alone. Like, I wasn't going to go there because, again, I, 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 the reality is if you and I knew the life and we watched like Jerry Garcia or Hugh Hefner, we watched the life of the thief on the cross and we weren't standing next to him at the time of his death, what, what would we tweet out about the thief on the cross? It just got hot. He's not so gratefully dead anymore. But yet, what was the reality about the thief on the cross? Heaven or hell? He's in heaven. And, and, and we don't know because he gave his life to God on his deathbed. And by the amazing grace of God, he's in heaven. And he deserved hell. He was a bad dude. 
he was not like, there was no good in him. It wasn't like, I, heard, I asked somebody about this one time and they said, oh, well, Jesus looked at him on the cross and he saw some sliver of good in his life. And because of that good, he got to go to heaven. And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, that, that, that's such a crazy concept. I get it. But I, my heart breaks for that, that idea. It was by the grace of God. He was an evil wicked person who deserved to die on a cross and by the grace of God, therefore, therefore go I. And he got saved that day and it's not our place to judge. Now, I want to tell you that, again, there is a place. There is a place where as Christians, we judge other Christians. We speak into other Christians' lives by a call of God. And we're supposed to do that. The Bible's full of that. Jesus constantly did that. John the Baptist, who Jesus said was the greatest human that ever lived up to that point and was a prophet, he spent his life telling people, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath that was to come. He said, show fruits worthy of repentance in your life. And Jesus was was constantly telling people and 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 telling people there were the faults in their lives. There's a spiritual gift for this. It's called. Does anybody know? Admonition, the gift of admonition, right? It's 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 in Romans chapter 12 and 14. Um, The gift of admonition is a gift where God gives you a word that you go and you speak correction into somebody else's life. Hey, Pat. Um, this, this condition in your life, brother, this, 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 this habit, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's sin in your life. And, and really, if you continue, it's going to create some problems in your marriage and in your family or whatever. And, 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 you know, God really, really wants you to, to stop this. And, you know, but listen, if you have a gift and a call of, of admonition, as I, as I've taught before, is that you also comes with that a gift of love. If you, if you have the gift of jerk, and you just like going around and telling people about their sins. Let me tell you something about the gift of admonition. You don't have it. And you're not the one. And you're not supposed to go around, you know, pointing your finger at everybody. Because Jesus, you think Jesus didn't like comedy? Jesus told some jokes. He's telling jokes in chapter 7. He said, you're like the guy with a big board sticking out of your eye, walking around banging into everybody. Hey, you got a sliver in your eye, man. Let me get that out. Too much theatrics or what? <laughs> not working today? It's all good. I'll just stand behind the pulpit. So Jesus is telling jokes that you're, you're not that guy because you got this big plank hanging out of your eye, this big board hanging out of your eye, and you're going around trying to pull something out of everybody else's eye. Let, let me tell you one thing, I promise you. Uh, this is one thing I'm, I'm positive about. I'm not, not too many things when I teach, right? But I'm, I'm positive about this one. When you get to heaven, this is a question that God is not going to ask any of you. Hey, why didn't you straighten all those people out down there on earth? Hey, why didn't you go around fixing everybody around you? Why didn't you go around? How come, why didn't you straighten some more people out before you got up here? Do, do you know whose job it is to convict of sin? It's not yours. But listen, there, there, there's a call to. It's called admonition. It's a gift. It's a call. It's a love that God gives you to speak into people's life. That's a gift. You can do that. By the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit. And the only way it works is because the Holy Spirit has already spoke to the other person anyways. And then when you come, they're ready to receive it. But, but it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict of sins. People sometimes get frustrated with me because they, they see a, a brother or sister in church that has some obvious sin going on in their lives. And they want me to go and confront that sin. And, and there's, again, maybe a place for that and a time. But, but I rarely will do that because if that person is not... Um, 
asking for my advice, first of all, they're not going to receive any advice that I give them. And it's going to come across judgmental. It's going to come across legalistic. And, and they're, even if it's true, they're just not in a place to receive it. And, and, and again, it's not my job. The beauty of, of being your pastor is not my job to convict you of sin. People ask me sometimes, oh, Pastor Chris, what, what, you know, what movies are sin that I should watch and not watch? Like, what is, I'm like, I don't know. What did dad tell you? You know, what did, what did God say? What did you, did you ask God? Don't ask me if you didn't ask God first, you know, let, let God speak into people's lives, those things. And then listen, uh, people will come to me and, and they'll ask for counsel. And if people come to you, to me, and, and they want to know what your opinion is, sometimes I'll ask them like this. I'll say, do you want to know what I think about this? Yeah, I want to know what you think. All right, good, because I'm about to tell you now. You asked, you asked. So if you ask me, I'm going to tell you. But, but again, you know, and there's been lots of situations. And I learned the hard way a couple of times as a young pastor where I wanted to go and, and fix some people. And, and, and Pastor Gerald told me a million times, you, you can't give advice to people that don't want it. You know, and you can't, they're not going to receive it. And, um, and, and, and but, but God will do it in a time. And there is a time to judge. Now, listen, another, another judging for us as Christians that, that maybe we are guilty of, that we need to do better on. Is, is, is unrighteous judgment in the way that, you know, maybe we judge the way that people look. You know, you get in an elevator, right? And a guy with a face tattoo gets on next to you and you clench your purse a little tighter, you know, and you hold your wallet or whatever. And, you know, you pray that the, hey, I'm next floor, please. You know, like I'm out of here. Or maybe you make a decision about um, somebody's character based on how they look or who they are before you get to know them. And, you know, or, you know, because maybe they have some troubles going on in their lives or they have some struggles or they have some sins and, um, and, and you, 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 you you act as if an error that you're better than them because you don't struggle with those same things. And, and it's, it's judgment, it's self-righteousness. You know, you know, you know, somebody, do you guys know anybody that has like their life all together? Like everything's just perfect. Like they, you go in their garage and it's one of those guys that like every wrench has like this cutout thing on the garage was like marked and they're all perfect in there. And the grass is like super perfect. They leave those little mohawks. So they make lines and all the things. And I never knew how they made that until I walked up and I saw he left like this much of a grass taller all the way through so that it made those lines. And, you know, you go in the house and everything's perfect. And, you know, those people, you, you admire some of that. But you know what? Sometimes those people like, yeah, everything's perfect in their lives, but you don't really want to go hang out and have a burger with them because they're so perfect and they're so self-righteous about it that, that they're just not even cool, not even fun to hang out with. They just make you feel bad all the time about yourself, you know? And again, listen, who, who was the most righteous person that ever walked on planet Earth? You know what the greatest thing about Jesus was, you guys? Jesus could be so perfect and righteous, but yet normal people unrighteous people were comfortable around him. He didn't make anybody feel bad. He didn't, he didn't judge anybody in such a way. You know what, you know what the Pharisees and the critics said of Jesus? They said, this guy's a, a, a wine bibber and a tax and a, and a, and a glutton. He, he, he hangs out with sinners. They said he's an alcoholic and he overeats and, you know, be, because he, and he didn't do any of those things, but those people were comfortable being around him. Kids, kids would come to Jesus and they would approach him and they would sit on his lap. Like, listen, like you got to have a certain look about you and a certain feel that kids are comfortable just to come run up to you. You know, some of you people around here, I guarantee you, you scare the kids right away. <laughs> you know, they won't get anything, they won't get anything near you. But, you know, Jesus was the most righteous 
And yet he was also the most welcoming and, and everybody felt comfortable around him. And they, they, he didn't change. They changed, right? Jesus didn't go down and, and they went up. And so we, we don't want to be judgmental in a way that, you know, we have a self-righteousness. Two quick scriptures I want to share with you guys. You can chase me around or you can wait here and I'll be back. But in Romans chapter 14, in verse number one, um, Paul tells us that um, receive one who is weak in the faith, but do not dispute over doubtful things. So we've already kind of walked through that one a little bit that, you know, as Christians, listen, let's not let's not argue over doubtful things. Let's not argue over gray areas. Um, And then Paul goes on to say that the, the greater message for us is to love. Right. Rather than having a church that's full of people that are just right and they don't have sins and we're dealing with it and we're, you know, we, 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 you know, we, we look good on the outside. How about a church that just loves people where they are? Right. And, and not an excuse for people to leave where they are. But I tell you what, that love in people's lives. Listen, look at me. That love that you'll share into somebody's life will go so much further than any kind of you know, tag that you're going to put on a sin that they have or a correction that you're going to give them. And then the Holy Spirit as his job is to call them and draw them. And they're going to come to you for encouragement and help and accountability. And you can be there and walk with them. And then Paul also tells us in Galatians in this area of admonition or correcting, he says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass or sin, somebody say sin, like Pat, the sinner over here, you who are spiritual. So that must be talking about Lydia. Restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. So first of all, we find someone who's um, in a trespass or a sin. And then those that are spiritual should go to that person with, with the spirit of restoring them. And then he tells us how to do it in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you, must be, lest you be tempted. So the, the idea is that, listen, this is what you need to understand about somebody else's sin. You are one step away from where they are, and you're not there by the grace of God. You, you, you're no better than them because you're not struggling in that area that they're struggling in. You would be, and you could be struggling in that area, but by the grace of God, you're not. And you understand that. You understand that about people, that I'm not, you know, all oh, these people, I just don't get it. I don't know how they struggle like that. I just, I never struggle that way. Well, again, you're not the one that has a gift of admonition. And God says, listen, by the grace of God, knowing that you yourself have opportunity, you could be there. Right. We've talked about the concept over and over again. The Bible says your heart is desperately wicked above all things who can know it. It's a, it's a biblical concept about the human heart. You don't look within yourself to find answers, to find truth, to find what the world tells you you're looking for. It's not there. Jesus said inside your heart is desperately wicked. Have you seen the depravity of man and what man is capable of? Pretty nasty things, right? Okay, and 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 without God, we could slide into that because that's what we're going to find in our hearts. But it's about being looking outside of ourselves for the answers, looking to God to fill us, to to heal us, to touch us. And so. um, So in the area of restoring, all right, we better move on. We got like seven other things to cover in chapter seven. So judge, don't judge. But I'm going to tell you how to judge in a minute because you can judge some things. Um, So this is more about. Um, the right way to judge. And again, not having unrighteous judgment. And then he says um, in verse six, do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. So listen, two, two things to understand about this verse. Number six, um, when Jesus says dogs and swine, 
Um, number one, the culture in Israel in Jesus's day was not like it is today where you have puppies that are in your house and they get outside when you're mowing your grass and the neighbors love them and pet them and they're wonderful and, you know, little dogs. The dogs in Israel were, um, they were, they were wild dogs and you go to pet a wild dog in the street in Israel and you'll lose a finger. They had rabies, a lot of them. They were, they were, they were wild animals, pigs the same way as you know, a swine was, um, it's an unkosher and unclean animal and forbidden and tell Jesus to eat it. One of the things I love the most about Jesus is he gave us, he gave us bacon. When he died on the cross and rose again the third day, he redeemed bacon. And so, but before Jesus died on the cross and rose again, um, any, any product from the pig was forbidden for Jews to eat, for God's people to eat. And so Jesus says, um, do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine. Now, pearls here is the word of God. And, and so there are times with God's discernment that God says for you, it's not wise for you to take the word of God and that is holy and cast it at the, at the feet of dogs or, or give it to pigs. Okay, and then pearl, right? How many of you guys have a wonderful, beautiful pearl necklace and you would, you would hang it on your pig? Anybody do that? Hey, if you, if you would do that, let me know. I'll hold your pearl necklace for you because, um, so again, we, we wouldn't do that. And, and then, and then there's a point where the word of God that's holy and sacred. And, and if you're giving it to somebody who's trampling it underfoot, the, the wisdom of God says there's a point to stop. Okay. So, so, you know, John tells us, um, the, 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 the author of love you know, the Apostle John says concerning this in Second John chapter um, 2, verse 10, he said, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him in your house, nor greet him. So if anybody brings another doctrine, another gospel, don't even bring him in your house, don't greet him. Jesus told the apostles when he sent the 70 out that when you come to a place where they won't receive you, knock the dust off your feet as you leave in, in a sign against them and I'll deal with them. So there comes a point where as you're trying to share the gospel with somebody, it just becomes arguing, basically. It just becomes fighting and there's no fruit, right? And when you perceive that the person that you're sharing the gospel with, that you're giving the word of God, that, that they just want to fight and argue, then, then that's time to stop casting your, your pearls before swine. Um, you, you will never argue somebody into the kingdom of God with your intellect. I promise you that. You will never argue somebody with your intellect who is pro-choice to believe that that the sanctity in the sanctity of life and that um, life starts at conception and that it's and that 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 baby is a life at conception but you know what you know what will happen and i have seen happen many 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 times is people that were pro-choice who who gave their heart and life to jesus and then, and then through their walking with God, decided and saw through God's word that life was, um, sanctity of life began at conception and changed their opinion. But not through arguing, but through the grace and the spirit of God, those things will happen. And so um, don't cast your pearls before swine. Amen? And then Jesus says in verse 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Did you guys hear what I just said? For everyone who asks, receives. Listen, he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. That's a promise. I asked in the last service after I read this verse. 
and I won't do it to you guys because I think they misunderstood and people were like, yes. I said, have you ever prayed and God didn't answer you? And people were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, no, you didn't. <laughs> Did you just read the verse? I said, maybe you prayed and God said, no, but he gave you an answer. And, and you know, the, the answers of God are yes, not now, no, l- wait, you know, later. But but God promises that he's going to to answer your prayers. And anything, this is Jesus talking. This is the father. And what is he saying to you and I? He's he's telling you to ask him for things. How many how many parents in here? How many of you guys, when you get your kids today, you're going to say, hey, listen, would you please ask me for some money? Would you please ask me if you could take the car today and take the quad or whatever, ride the motorcycle around the neighborhood? Would you please ask me for, for things that you want? Would you please like ask more? That's what God is saying to you and I, to ask. Ask him for those things that you want. You know, some people say, well, God knows what we want. Why does he want us to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking? This is the, you know, this is the Nemo scripture right here. You know, keep on swimming, keep on swimming. This is the keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking. And there is a desire in God for you and I to, to continue in the things that are important through communication and through prayer. You know, part of it maybe is God trying to really discern what's really important in your life. You know, um, you, 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 around Christmas time, right? If you have, when you had young kids, they're watching their favorite Saturday morning cartoons and they see a toy on a cartoon. They're like, oh, I want that. I want that. And then the next day they're riding scooters with their neighbor and, oh, they want that scooter. And, you know, and then the next day it's something else and something else. But there's something that they kept asking for through that season, something that kept coming up that was really what was in their heart that they wanted. It helped you decide, you know, what, what they really needed, what was really in their heart. And maybe those things that as we pray, as we keep seeking, we keep knocking, we keep searching, God is working stuff in our lives to find out what's important and what we really need and what, what really, and we're, we're growing and God is teaching and, and through prayer. And then even the same concept is true through your giving. God is not, um, you know, raising churches and, and money and, and, and feeding his needs. He's raising kids. It's the way that God raises his kids. It's the way that God raises you and I as we communicate through these things. So listen, but just if you have a promise like that, keep knocking, keep, keep asking, and the door is going to be open, I encourage you to keep on swimming. Keep swimming, keep knocking, keep asking. And then, um, and then God's going to give an analogy to encourage you that he, he, wants to, he wants to bless your life. You know, that's, that's a strange concept, I think, that, that we struggle with, that we probably shouldn't, but, but it's a reality we do. We kind of feel like, eh, does God really want to bless my life? Does God want to give you good things? Or is he just, you know, like kind of waiting to see how you behave today and tomorrow and, you know, but really believing in your heart that God wants to bless you? That's what he's telling you right here. Listen to what he says. He says, or what man is there or who has, if his son asks for bread, gives him a stone. Hey, dad, 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 earthly dads, you guys, dads in here, moms will apply it to you too. Mom, 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 dad. Hey, I'm really hungry. Can I have a piece of that bread? I hear kid, here's a rock. No, on that. I'm not taking you to the dentist when you chew your teeth off, you know, like how many of you guys? As a, as a father, and he calls you evil, by the way. Don't you love it when, when God calls us evil? But, but how many of you guys, if your child approached you and said, hey, can I have a piece of bread, would throw him a stone? Anybody in here? Don't apply for Sunday school if you raise your hand. And then he said, um, 
He said, what if, if your son asked you for a fish, would you give him a serpent? Hey, Dad, I saw you went fishing. You caught a bunch of them bass. Can I have one? Yeah, you can have that long, skinny one that's slithering in there. Go take a bite of that. Like, seriously? Like, would you do that as a father? This is what God's saying. You guys, not me, okay? This is Jesus talking. So Jesus says, you as a father, you, you wouldn't do that. Like, your heart is to, is to give your son what would bless him. And then what does he say? He says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So ask. God desires to give you good things. But he wants you to ask for those things. He wants you to seek. He wants you to knock. He wants you to come. And God will absolutely, and he loves you. He desires to do and give you good things in your life. Do you believe that? I don't know if we do, honestly, fully. But that's okay. We're all in the same boat. But encouraging you today that, that you can. You can one more encouragement, one more notch to know that, that God does desire to do good things. And part of what's happening here, before we get to verse 12, um, it just comes up because when Jesus says this, he's talking partially about the Holy Spirit. That he, that, that he will give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And, and so it's the Holy Spirit of God that lives in your life. That, you know, in Ephesians says, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so God will give you those things. And then he goes on and he says, um, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, verse 12 do also to them, for this is all. This is the law and the prophets. So now we have the um, the golden rule, the kind of the the pinnacle of the Sermon on the Mount, really, so to speak. Some people said that that in Christianity, a lot of what Jesus said is summed up in these things. You know, ask yourself this, and in, in all honesty, what what kind of world? You know, and sometimes, like before I get to the question, I'm going to preface it for a second. You know, we we get a bad rap, right? Like. As Christians, the, you can be anything in society pretty much, and, and you're okay. Like, you'll fit in. But if you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, then, then, then there's, there's opposition. You can get away with anything in school unless you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. In California, they, they had this legislation that the biggest enemy of the state, Christian homeschoolers. Serious, but it's just an attack upon us as Christians and, and really in our faith. But listen, let me ask you this. As Christians, Jesus said a few simple things. If, if the world just followed the Ten Commandments, what kind of world would we live in? Amazing, right? Like if that would be nirvana in itself. But what about just two commandments Jesus gave? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. And here he said, treat other people the way you want to be treated. If we just follow those two simple rules, the whole world, and like we're such this big bad wolf, you know, but the whole world would be a different place if we followed these two things. Now, what's, what's interesting about the golden rule here, or this um, thing that Jesus said, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, um, this was not new. Buddhist, Buddha had one. Confucius had one. Socrates had one. All and all, and they all went something in the negative. Whatever you don't want men to do to you, don't do to them. You don't want someone to walk up and punch you in the eye, then don't punch them in the eye. You don't want someone to spit on you, don't spit on them. And, and every one of them throughout um, history up to the time of Jesus was all in the negative. Now, it radically changes it here when, when Jesus said to them, you know, basically in the vein, you have heard it said, but I say to you, and Jesus says, whatever you want men to do to you, do unto them. 
Now that gets scary. Because I'm like, man, it would be really cool if somebody showed up at my house with some hot wings. <laughs> I'm like, so what does that mean? Like, I got to go get some hot wings and come to your house. You know, like it, it really forces me then to, to, go, to go do something. And I could sit around all day and think of all the wonderful things that I want people to do in the positive for me. And Jesus said, those things go and do. You know, and everybody else just said, you know, you don't want someone to punch you, don't punch them. Well, that's a little easy to live by. It's much harder to, to think of, of what would bless your life. What would you love to happen in your life today? Go do that for somebody else. Anybody? Right? It's not, it's not as easy. That's kind of scary. That's like, but what kind of world will we have? And that's what Jesus said. And then verse 13. Um, listen, verse 13 is, um, it, 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 it's controversial, I guess you could say that. And, and not so much from our end, but I do think that verse 13 and this concept that I'm going to introduce or that, that Jesus is going to reiterate here. Is, the, is one of the areas where, again, we as Christians get labeled bigoted, where we get labeled um, narrow-minded, where we get n- labeled um, judgmental. A lot of it comes from, if you believe, before I read it to you, if you believe what Jesus is about to say in verses 13 and 14, then you're going to fit into that category. Now, Jesus is not going to say anything different here than Jesus did in one of the most famous passages that Jesus ever said in John 14, 6, where Jesus said, the, the back, the back head in here. Yeah, I am. You guys all have it memorized yet. Don't turn there, right? Like eight o'clock service was like trying to turn there real quick. There wasn't one person that could get it going. And, and I said, you know, it's, it's easy. Memorize it. Maybe you don't know the address, but you know the verse, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus said. This week was the, um, was the inauguration of the uh, United States Embassy moving to Jerusalem on Monday. Yeah, amen. And um, President Trump chose a pastor by the name of Dr. Jeffries, who's a Southern Baptist pastor of a big church. He's got a worldwide or at least nationwide radio um, teaching program. He's written books. He's an author. He's a speaker. He's a Fox News contributor. And he's he's on um, President Trump's cabinet um, of advisors, spiritual advisors. He's one of about 10. Well, Pastor, um, I'm sorry, not Pastor, President Trump chose Dr. Jeffries to give the opening prayer at the embassy moving to Jerusalem this week in, um, in Israel. And so Dr. Jeffries prayed really nice prayer. He thanked the Lord for the, the thing. And he prayed in Jesus name, which was so powerful and so amazing and so right. He should have prayed in Jesus name. And, and, and again, the left was saying, Oh, everybody's so offended. He's in Israel praying in Jesus name in front of the Jews and all the Jews. They love it. They have no problem with it. They don't believe in Jesus, but they're not offended that we believe in Jesus. They know that he's a pastor who believes in Jesus, and they're, they're totally cool with it. And Benjamin Netanyahu and the rest in the cabinet, it's, it's, it's the way that it is. It's normal, right? And so anyways, Mitt Romney, he tweeted out this this week after, after the, the president chose this pastor and, and he made his prayer. Mitt Romney tweeted out, um, Robert Jeffrey says, you can't be saved by being a Jew and Mormonism is heresy from the pit of hell. He said the same about Islam. Such a religious bigot should not 
be giving the prayer at the opening at the opens the that excuse me that opens the United States Embassy in Jerusalem, Mitt Romney, May fourteenth, twenty eighteen. And Jeffries responded with Pastor Jeffries. Historic Christianity has taught for 2,000 years the salvation of faith in Christ alone. The fact that I, along with tens of millions of evangelical Christians around the world, continue to espouse that belief is neither bigoted nor noteworthy. And, and you know what, like, the, amen, you know, and, and again, you guys, the, the world wants to say that if we believe that that, that, that salvation comes through faith in Christ alone, that you're bigoted. And then they, and then they want to press you on it. That, that, oh, then, then, you know, gay people go to hell. Is that what you're saying? Muslims go to hell. Jews go to hell. And, 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 and again, we, we didn't write the news. We just report it. And we got to find a way to, to be loving with the message. And, and, but at the same time, we have to stand on the truth of what Jesus said. Look what he says here. He says basically the same thing. He says, enter by the narrow gate. What kind of gate? For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to what? And there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to what life and few there find it. So basically, Jesus is saying that that there's one way and the way to heaven is narrow. Now, listen, let me tell you something about Satan briefly, quickly. All Satan has to do to, to get people to go to hell is get them on any path besides that narrow road that Jesus describes here. Jesus said there's two paths. There's not. Two million, there's not 20. All roads don't lead to heaven. You know, and folks want to say, and the world wants to tell you that as long as, no matter what you believe, it's okay. As long as, you know, you're truth to what you believe and you're faithful and, you know, God is lots of different things and all roads eventually lead to heaven. No, all roads might eventually lead to a McDonald's, but they're, they're not going to lead to heaven. And, and, and again, it's not bigoted. It's not narrow. It's, it's truth. It's just what Jesus taught. Jesus said there was one road. It was a narrow road. And Satan's plan is very good in this respect. Because listen, his, his road is what? What did, what did Jesus just say? Broad. It's funny that every, every, every town in America has a street called Broadway, right? But there, there's a broad way. And Satan doesn't care which lane on that freeway he gets you on. It doesn't matter which deception you adhere to. And let me tell you something. If you've not made a decision, that is a decision. That's just another lane on the broad road that leads to destruction. And and Satan just, all he has to do is saturate the truth with more lanes and more lanes and more lanes and more lanes. And he's constantly doing it. He's got everybody going every which direction but loose. And all you got to do is be on any road besides that narrow road that leads to salvation and, 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 um, Satan's plan is done. I'm going to try to decide. All right, we're going to, we're going to wrap up. Let's get, let's finish to verse 20 and then we will be done. Um, it says, so Jesus said, <clears throat> beware of false prophets, lest they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Now, um, Jesus said, don't judge lest you be judged. But now he gives you a scenario here where you have to use a judgment. What's the judgment that he asks you to use here? Verse 15. Beware of false prophets. How can you beware of a false prophet if you don't make a judgment? Okay. John tells us to test all the prophets. The Bible tells you to test all the prophets and see if they're true. The Apostle Paul told a group of people, don't believe what I say. And this is the Apostle Paul. If there's anybody you could trust, it's probably him, right? Jesus, then the Apostle Paul, and then my wife. You know, that kind of like (laughs) hierarchy. But so the Apostle Paul is, is speaking 
And he says, don't believe what I tell you. Go and check it out for yourself. I, that's the same message. I would have to repeat that, right? As a, as a pastor, it's the same thing, right? Like you have to go and check everything that's taught, that's said, that, that check it for yourself. Check the, um, by the word of God. And so Jesus tells us, beware of false prophets. The Bible tells us, be um, warned of those things. Wolves in sheep's clothing. So we got to check those things. We check them with the word of God. And what they say, if it's not consistent with what the word of God says, then they're a liar. In, in Kings, it records the story of a prophet. And what's interesting is that the name of this guy, according to God, is prophet. And then it tells this story where this, this prophet he lies to this young prophet and, 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 and gets him eaten by lions. And he told him a lie. And he said, angel visited me and, and told me to tell you it's okay. And the young prophet said, oh, well, this guy's an old prophet. And he probably knows what he's talking about. And God directly tells the young prophet in this story in the book of Kings, don't go back that way. And the old prophet says, oh, it's okay. Angels told me it's good for you to do it. The guy goes back that way and a lion comes out and eats him because God told him not to do it. And then listen what it records in the book of Kings. This is what it says. But the prophet lied. That's out of God's word. But the prophet lied. And so again, here he tells us, test these things. Test the prophets. Beware of false prophets. And listen, Jesus is not going to warn you of false prophets if they don't exist. So understand this, that they're going to exist. They're going to want to deceive you. They're going to want to put you on another lane of that broad way that Jesus talked about. And then he said, um, in verse 16, you will know them by their fruits. Now, how are you going to know somebody by their fruits if you don't make a judgment? That's a judgment, right? And so you as Christians, were not to use unrighteous judgment, but you are to be fruit inspectors. Okay, that's what we are as Christians. You hear that? You hear that expression, but it's, it's biblical. We're Christians are fruit inspectors. So, you, you know, and, and Jesus said that the purpose of your life was to bear fruit. And, and listen, fruit in your life as a Christian is not something you can fake. It's not something that, you know, maybe for a little bit, but people that know the Lord, they're going to look in your life and they're either going to see fruit of God in your life or they're not. And, and, and when you see that, when you're looking for a church, when you're looking for a, a companion, when you're looking, you know, you're looking for those things as Christians, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to look for fruit in, in the lives of other believers. And so... And not in a judgmental way, but as fruit inspectors. And then he said, even so, every good tree bears good, excuse me, even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Um, verse 18 says, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Now, listen, I want to say something about verse 18 without saying it. And if you pick it up, good. If not, let it go. Um, Jesus said that, 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 Good fruit cannot come from a bad tree. And, you know, sometimes I get questions and myself will ask these same questions about certain individuals or certain groups and everything on the outside of this group, this individual, it looks really good. It looks like fruit. It looks righteous. It looks holy. And, and, and someone will say, well, why? What's so wrong? They're, they're a little different and they're not, you know, they, they, they have a little different thing. And is it so bad or is it, is it, does it mean they're on the broad road? And, and to answer that question, for me personally, again, in seeking God and asking God, he brought me to this verse and, 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 and he said, can good fruit come from a bad tree? Now I'm asking you guys, can good fruit come from a bad tree? And to me, that was the answer that God gave me was that if the tree's bad, the fruit's going to be bad. And, and so 
Um, and then he said, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown to the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Let's stand. I want to encourage you guys um, a couple things today. You know, um, Jesus said that, that if you have need to ask that he wants to do those things in your life. He said that, that if you'll put first the kingdom of God in your life and his righteousness, that all these things will be added unto you. And then he gave um, really a, a prescription that you, you can't ignore, you can't hide, that, again, the world wants to, to, to beat us over the head with, but it's just the truth of the gospel. Jesus said there's only two roads. One is narrow and one is broad, and you have to be on that narrow road. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father through me. And that salvation um, comes through faith in Christ alone. And again, that's, that's not a new doctrine. That's not a new belief. It doesn't make us bigoted. It doesn't make us, you know, elitist. It just simply makes us believers in what the Word of God says, that we can't add or take away anything from what the Word of God says and what Jesus said, and that if we want salvation and we want to go to heaven, that we believe in Jesus and by the grace of God that, that, that God gives us and grants to you salvation as a free gift. And then your good works follow that as a result of what God's done in your heart and life. And, and we, we want to give everybody in here an opportunity like we talked about this morning to put feet to your faith and to respond. And so we're not going to ask you to come forward today, but I will just ask you if there's anybody in here with all eyes open and, you know, before we bow our heads and close our eyes, because it's not a private thing. And Jesus never called anybody um, privately, always publicly. And there's something that changes in your life when you just in front of your brothers and sisters, raise your hand up a little bit. And this much, 18 inches could change your life this morning. But for anybody who, who wants to ask the Lord in their heart or make sure they're on that narrow road and you're not sure if you're a Christian, if you want to get your heart right, life right with the Lord Jesus today, and I want you to shoot your hand up and just raise your hand up. Anybody? Anybody? Good, 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 good. Now, keep it up just for a second. And then if there's anybody else who maybe, you, you know, you're born again, you're saved, but you, you want to rededicate this morning. You want to just say a prayer to ask God to, to, to draw you closer to him and to, to work in your life. Is there any of you today? Amen. Lots and lots and lots of hands. All right, you guys can put your hands down. Let's, let's close our eyes and bow our heads together. Let's pray out loud together. Dear Lord Jesus, please come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Cause me to fall in love with you, to abide in Jesus, to seek first the kingdom of God, and believe that all these things will be added unto me. In Jesus' name, amen.